welcome to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Pauly. We are going to be continuing a conversation we started last week. Now, it's a little bit different topic. Joining me is Tim Stratton. Uh, he is uh, working with and I think founded and president of Free Thinking Ministries. And last week we talked about just his role with student ministries, how he got into apologetics, and how he was really challenged to think deeply about not only what Christians believe, but why we believe it. This week we're going to focus more on what we ended with last week, uh, discussing libertarian free will and how that deals with or how we understand that in relation to God's predestination or knowledge and his sovereignty. And so, Tim, thanks for jump, uh, coming on with me again. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, again, I'm excited because uh, when I found out uh, kind of your focus uh, with Molinism and my interest in Molinism and then also uh, you writing your Ph.D. dissertation uh, demonstrating God's you know, God's middle knowledge and human, uh, you know, libertarian free will. Uh, and me having a lot of questions about this, I wanted to get you on the show and discuss these things with you. And so um, I really appreciate all the work that you've done and, and taking the time to come on and discuss these with me. Because, again, I don't know if you deal with this a lot, maybe just because of your you know, specialty, but I get a lot of questions from students of how can humans have free will right. and God also predestined all things. So um, you started off last week discussing your story of, of being in youth ministry and being challenged, but I know your story also includes being a Calvinist, but then kind of switching to Molinism, and I've heard a little bit about this. I don't have a lot of details, and so uh, we're going to jump right in to kind of what is your story when it comes to understanding this different, uh, these different kind of soteriological or salvation-based models. Yeah, well, you're right. I, I used to be a Calvinist, and I was a pretty hardcore Calvinist. And by that, I understood the five points of TULIP. I affirmed each of them. But I went even further, and, uh, and I argued that I thought that Scripture was clear that God causally determined all things exhaustively, either directly or indirectly. And, uh, you know, there's uh, Calvinist philosophers out there today. I think um, it's a Matthew Hart, I believe, that he wrote in a recent essay that, he takes it to mean that if you're a Calvinist, then you will affirm that God causally determines all things. Believe Helm would affirm the same thing. But yeah, I, that was my view. I, I held not just that uh, Tulip was true, but that God causally determines all things, all thoughts, all actions, all beliefs, all behaviors. It's all ultimately up to God and caused by God. Now, I'm no longer a Calvinist. I do, however, still consider myself to be reformed, but I now argue for libertarian free will. Some people have called me the libertarian freedom fighter. I fight <laughs> fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. Uh, you know, I fight for libertarian freedom. Well, you um, also do have a history in MMA. Yeah, so I, yeah, I I did compete professionally in MMA. I was I only had two fights. I was one and one. Broke right. my hand in the second one. I thought, okay, that's good, but I. I kept, uh, I kept That's coaching. like me in football. Yeah. I played football for half a season until I saw about three kids break their legs, and I went, yeah, I'm yeah. good. <laughs> but I, I did keep coaching, and I actually had a pretty successful coaching career. Okay. Um, and I had fun sparring these guys. I mean, the current uh, champion in the UFC at 170 is uh, was one of my former – You know, oh. I coached him a little bit. I coached That's him a ton. Awesome. He was already a, a national champion when it came to wrestling. Uh, yeah. But he came into the gym. I coached him a little bit. His name's Kamara Usman. I take him to church with me. <laughs> also, That's so cool. a, yeah. Sorry, so, I got you way off track. And you oh, said yeah, freedom sorry. fighter. I was like, oh yeah, also yeah, a fighter yeah. in real life. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'll just say this: I, I still consider myself to be reformed. I uh, push back on the eye of tulip a little bit. We can talk about that more later. But 
but I do argue that God predestines all things exhaustively. Although now I reject the idea that God causally determines all things exhaustively. And so I argue that uh, predestination and uh, determinism are not the same thing. So if they're not the same thing, then I can still affirm predestination of all things and still uh, show that it's possible for humans to still possess libertarian free will. And uh, and then I argue that we do uh, possess uh, libertarian free will. And I've got many articles on the Free Thinking Ministries website. If you know, if we don't get into depth into all these things, people can go there. And what's got, the website URL? Uh, yeah, freethinkingministries.com. Okay. You can also get there, uh, freethink105.com. So. Okay. So what initially caused you to kind of change your opinion from being a determinist, uh, believing that God determines all things as well as Calvinist, uh, to switching over to understanding libertarian free will? Did you did you ask what caused? Me to yeah. Do that? Oh well, there you go. <laughs> uh, I would say nothing caused or didn't it causally determine me to do so. I Are would you say sure about I, that. I would say that I freely chose to critically <laughs> examine my previously held commitments. Now, of course, I was influenced by yeah. other things, but I argue that influence does not necessarily equate to determinism or to causation. <clears throat> so. I would say that I freely chose to critically examine my previously held commitments, and I was willing to change my mind. And I spent years testing and evaluating my worldview, and I saw logical holes that seemed impossible to fix, and then I found a better explanation. So I chose to affirm what, uh, after going through that process, to, to infer the best explanation of all the data. And I believe that that is Molinism. And so uh, at this point, I think a lot of people would say, oh, hold on a second. I've never heard of Molinism, right? This is what I mm -hmm. often bring up is when I tell people I kind of I hold the Molinism uh, within that because they always want Calvinism or Arminianism. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't neither one. This is, you know, a you know, false you know, dilemma. Um, what is Molinism? How would you define that for those listening? Yeah, well, first, I just want to say that Molinism does not have to be applied to soteriological matters. And so that's and so it's your logical meaning your issues dealing with salvation. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now it can be, and I do apply it, but um, and and we can get into this later. We don't have to. So this allows, I will say, a Calvinist to be a Molinist if they. I think that in fact I think they should. But let me just tell you what I argue for, which allows them to do that. So this is mere Molinism. You know, C.S. Lewis is famous for writing mere Christianity, and I believe that just entails, hey, if, if mere Christianity is true, it comes down to one sentence or, or one statement. Uh, God raised Jesus from the dead. That entails two essential ingredients, the existence of God and the historical resurrection. Well, I do something ser uh, similarly with Molinism, and I call it mere Molinism. So just like you know, Christians, we, we can disagree on so many things, but it ultimately comes down to mere Christianity, God raised Jesus from the dead. If, if you affirm that, you're probably uh, going to be able to do ministry together. Well, yeah. mere Molinism allows for us to disagree on maybe issues regar regarding soteriological matters or salvation issues, but it is going to get us on the same page and uh, on so many, or at least on the most important things. And so uh, mere Molinism is a term that I use to encapsulate two essential propositions. One, logically prior to God's decision to create the world, God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create. Now, I contend that if that statement is true, then God possesses middle knowledge. Let me read 
That first statement again. If you're a mere Molinist, you have to affirm this. Logically prior to God's decision to create the world, God knew everything that would happen in any possible scenario he could create. Okay? So that's the first step of mere Molinism. The second step is this. As beings created in the image of God, humans, like God, possess libertarian freedom, which is simply this, the ability to choose between a range of options, each compatible with one's nature. So if one affirms those two propositions, then you're a Molinist. You're, you're a Molinist. You're, you're, you're affirming some flavor of Molinism. And notice that in those two propositions, it says nothing about salvation or soteriological matters. Right. So one can be a determinist when it comes to salvation issues. But as long as they affirm that at least sometimes we have the ability to choose between a range of options, each of which is compatible with our nature, and they affirm that God knew how one would freely choose logically before his decision to create this world, then you're a Molinist, right? You're affirming libertarian freedom and God's middle knowledge, the two essential ingredients of mere Molinism. So now you you can take those concepts and apply them to salvation issues, but you do not have to. Right? Mm-hmm. I do, but I know some guys that you and I work with that will not do that. Right? But they will still affirm. Uh, and, and I would say Calvin, Luther, Melanchthon, they will affirm that humans possess libertarian freedom at least some of the time. You know, they would talk about it. Um, like Calvin and Luther were clear that. Uh, we didn't have uh, freedom when it comes to spiritual things or things above um, or things of the first table, I think uh, Calvin called it. But when it comes to things of the second table, things of the world, the things below, they said, yeah, we do have that. You know, they, they were both they didn't like the term free will and they didn't. Nobody was using the word libertarian back then, but they don't like the word free will, but they would affirm what we would describe as libertarian free will today when it comes to things of the world or things not of heaven or not of the things above or not of the things having to do with spiritual matters. But they would say that we do have that freedom in the things below. And so, but but if that's true, if God knows how we would freely choose in those things below or things of the world, then God's still got to have middle knowledge. If you possess that knowledge logically before his decision to create the world. So okay. anyway, I'm going off a little yeah. bit. I'll let you yeah. rein me back in. All <laughs> right. So, so you don't have to, and that's good to hear that you don't have to uh, apply this to salvation issues. But oftentimes, this is where the the conversation does go. Yeah. And you say it does. You do apply it there. And so, I, I am curious because this is where my big thing is. Is is I've studied more about kind of Reformed theology and Calvinism, and I understand the Tulip acronym, and I agree with. The majority of it, but the the one I have a little bit of issue with is what you actually just mentioned about the irresistible grace, and yeah. and so I'm curious on, and how you've reconciled these things and where you stand on it is how does this understanding of humans having freedom uh, now it doesn't have to apply in all situations, right? So God can determine this aspect right. of irresistible grace, but uh, where do you stand on this issue in 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 the work that you've done? Okay, so you're asking me. Well, how, how do you understand uh, human freedom when it comes to kind of the two, the irresistible grace aspect? Uh, yeah. Okay, good question. I believe that no one comes to God on their own. Right? No one seeks God. 
right? Mm-hmm. Left, left to their own devices, right? Yes. So no one will come to, to Christ unless they are drawn, right? Unless they experience uh, God, God's grace in that manner. Uh, so nobody does it on their own. But I believe that God seeks a, a love relationship with all people, that he makes it possible for all people, but that people, the individuals can freely choose to reject his grace or not. So I'm not saying that anybody has to go out and accept it and do something positive. I'm saying that as long as they don't reject, I'm not going to rule that out, but I'm saying at a minimum, as long as one does not reject God's love and grace, or as long as one does not continually resist God's love and grace, then they will be saved. They will uh, experience a true love relationship with God. So uh, I do think that God's grace is resistible. I think the word irresistible is mis, I don't think it should have been used. Um, I think it's a modal mistake. Yeah. So I believe that God's grace is resistible, but I do think that there's a way to make sense of it. Um, at least with the idea behind it with God's middle knowledge and with Molinism. But to say that it's irresistible, that it's impossible, uh, yet you start getting into philosophical uh, discussions there and definitions. Why, what do you mean by possible? Um, and, you know, and irresistible is it and necessary and could and would and will and must and things like that. So I, I do think that it's possible to resist, um, God's love and grace and the people who resist do not have to, but the people who resist God's love and grace are the people who are eternally separated by God by their own choice. And so that's why we need hell. So, Otherwise, we've got big problems, you know, God sending people to hell who he could have saved and things like that. We can get get into that if you'd like. But anyway, I still affirm I can affirm four of the five points of TULIP. I've got a a, kind of a fun um, acronym that I like to uh, offer instead called Trump. I think Trump makes more sense than TULIP. And I say, we got to make theology great again, you know, <laughs> and, and um, that was a horrible uh, invitation. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I affirm total depravity. The R would be resistible, amazing grace. The U would be unlimited love uh, for all people. Uh, the M would be middle knowledge of the elect. And the P would be perseverance of the saints. So, yeah, I, I offer uh, different five points. But okay. yeah, I've got so, an article on the website with that. Perfect. So when you bring that up, I mean, many to maybe, maybe many people, they go, well, that just sounds like Arminianism and this idea that that you can uh, you can resist, right? That it's up to our free choice whether we accept God's grace or not. So is, is there a difference there or is that similar? You know, I recommend uh, I mean, there's definitely some similarities with Molinism and Arminianism, we, but we do affirm freedom. But I think the Molinist, well, at least Molinists have offered. Um, what is called a monergistic Molinism. Kirk McGregor has an article, an academic journal that I that I was author in on, uh, on another article. <laughs> um, but he, he he wrote the final article in this academic journal. It's Perichoresis 16.2. If anybody wants to look this journal article up, two articles from me and that I co-authored with Yaquibus uh, Erasmus, a South African philosopher. Um, but yeah, Kirk McGregor wrote something called. Uh, it's either Molinistic Monergism or Monergistic Molinism, one of the two. And uh, it's really good. It shows how you can be a monergist and still affirm uh, Molinism when it comes to salvation issues. 
But yeah, Molinism is similar to Arminianism in that sense. It's also quite similar to uh, Calvinism. <laughs> um, oftentimes, the Arminian will say, Molinism is nothing but Calvinism, uh, covered in frosting, you know, <laughs> so it looks better. <laughs> and then the Calvinist will say, no, the middle knowledge is nothing but Arminianism. You know, and you have the both sides saying that Molinism is really the other side. I mean, well, yeah. I, I say to both sides of the aisle here, hey, look, you're both seeing that we shouldn't be equated with your view. Um, and you're trying to lump us in on the other side. Well, that should show you that we the middle knowledge position really is in the middle and it, and it provides something new. So I, I say that it takes the good from Calvinism, cuts the fat off and it takes the good of Arminianism and cuts the fat off there. And you have the you're left with truth. Yeah. Did I answer your question? Is it, it is similar yeah, it, to Arminianism. Yeah. yeah, it is similar in those ways. In that sense, yeah. Okay, so kind of switching on, uh, man, it's just, uh, this is so good. We're, we're jumping through our time pretty quick. <laughs> um, you, you mentioned, uh, you talked about being God's elect. And I think this is another kind of question is, is how are we elect if we have free will? And, you know, you can look at some of the, the common passages uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed against the, conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Uh, you can jump into Romans chapter 9, where it talks about has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? You know, what if God desiring to show his wrath uh, and to make known his power has endured with much patience, patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make his riches and glory of him known? Uh, even Micah wrote in on Instagram with Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 48, where it says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began re rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed so how do we how do we reconcile this idea of humans having free will and being able to uh, refuse God's grace that it is resistible uh, when scripture seems to say that no we are predestined then we are conformed we are chosen for eternal life then we believe uh, how would you kind of reconcile these verses okay I know All I just right. gave you a lot yeah that was a lot <laughs> well first thing I'm gonna do how much time do we have right now? we have about 10 minutes okay it's going to be hard for me to go point by point through all of those. So what I want to do is tell people to go to uh, one of my articles called Molinism and the Golden Chain of Redemption. And uh, maybe you can link to it if you have that ability. Yeah. Molinism and the Golden Chain of Redemption. It's on freethinkingministries.com. And so in this article, I go through uh, John 6, Ephesians 1. Um, I talk about the difference between predestination and determinism, and I go to Romans 8, and I discuss that, go to Ephesians 2, and then go back to Romans 9. Yeah, so is there any of those passages you'd like me to, I could kind of well, just, I discuss mean, this a bit. Kind of briefly, because I do want to hit on a couple other issues of, of human freedom and God's sovereignty. Um, so just briefly, kind of like, how would, how, is there a short one or two minute way that you can kind of explain uh, what it means to be predestined if uh, we, and be elect, even though okay. uh, we still have free will? Right, okay, so... Bottom kind of within line. the monistic view, yeah. how would you understand predestination? Okay, predestination. A God created a world in which he knew how Ryan Polly would freely choose. Okay, God created a world in which he knew how Ryan would freely choose if he created him in this circumstance, right? So, if God knew how you would freely choose in a certain circumstance, then if God creates that world, now he knows how you will freely choose in a given circumstance. So the only word there, so now we get into what's called modal logic. So 
the only word that changes in the once God creates is would to will, right? But the word freely doesn't go anywhere, right? It doesn't magically disappear. So let me say that again. God created a world in which he knew how Ryan would freely choose in a given circumstance. So he created those circumstances, and now God God created a world in which he knew how Ryan will freely choose in a given circumstance. Will freely, right? So you still got your freedom. You did it freely. He's not causally determining you to do it, right? You are the source, right, of your free action. There's nothing. So it comes down to this. Does God possess the power to create a free creature? Even if he never does. Now, there's a lot of people out there that say that God does, uh, or, or that says that a lot of people out there that say that humans do not possess freedom. But then I ask him, well, did God, since he's omnipotent, have the power to create a free creature, even if he never does? Oh, well, of course, he's omnipotent. Great. Since God's omniscient, does God know how these free beings within his power to create, even if he never creates them, does God know how they would freely choose if he would create them? One Calvinistic theologian. Uh, said, well, of course, he's omniscient. He knows that. I'm like, well, great. Then you're a Molinist. <laughs> like, how do you get to that conclusion? Because you've affirmed that it's, it's at least, and, and this guy actually did affirm, like Calvin and Luther and Melanchthon and other reformers, that humans do possess some, uh, a limited libertarian freedom, just limited to all things other than salvation issues. And so, so this guy affirmed limited libertarian freedom and that God middle knew their free actions. But anyway, uh, now if you want to apply this to salvation, but you don't have to. Um, but if you want to make it a soteriological model, then you would just say God created a world in which he knew who would freely resist God's love and grace, even though they didn't have to. Right. So then God creates that world. And now God created a world in which he knew who will freely resist his love and grace. But they do not have to. But God. Uh, but, you know, and, and Dr. Craig said this, they, they could choose differently, but then God would have middle known differently <laughs> before. Yeah. Now this gets us into some deep philosophy that I don't know if you want to get into right now, but yeah. there's a difference between what's possible and what's feasible. So there's things that are logically possible. So when I say God created a world in which he knew how Richard Dawkins or that he knew that Richard Dawkins will freely or yeah, that he, that he knew that Richard Dawkins will freely resist God's love and grace, although he didn't have to. So if he didn't have to, that means there's a possible a possible world in which Richard Dawkins doesn't freely resist God's love and grace. But here's the thing about free will. If free will is really free and not some word game, then it follows that although it's possible for Richard Dawkins not to resist God's love and grace, if it's true that in any world that God creates Richard Dawkins with free will, well, maybe Richard Dawkins always uses that freedom to to resist God's love and grace. And so there, therefore, although it's possible for uh, Richard Dawkins not to resist God's grace, God can't create a world in which Richard Dawkins freely does not resist God's love and grace because he always uses his freedom to do it. Now, this I, I can't I don't know for sure, but God does. I don't know if there's a possible world in which Richard Dawkins does freely accept God's love and grace. But, but God does. God would be in a position to know that since he's omniscient. So, I don't know. I feel like I've jumped into some deep waters. 
Um, yeah, so kind of to, to kind of come back to a couple other points that come up a lot with students that I talk to is, okay, so if God is is kind of predestining and choosing this world and he's created this world in which I do this, you know, you inserted the word freely, but how do I have freedom if that's the world that was created and I kind of have to live according to that plan or that that world in which he, he created and, yeah, you don't have and to. I couldn't. Well, so then how would you yeah. argue then that I still have free will, even though God created the world in which I will do this, but freely do it. But how do I have freedom? Yeah. Then? Okay. So there's two different ways we want to distinguish between the sourcehood view of libertarian freedom and the, the PAP view, which is stands for principle of alternative possibilities. So first of all, sourcehood is vital. So even if there weren't, uh, these different possible alternative possibilities as long as you are free in the sense that nothing is causally determining you there's no strings attached to you you're not a puppet you're not always causally determined by physics and chemistry or quantum mechanics or whatever um, as long as it's you as long as you are the source of any of your thoughts and actions then you are free in a libertarian sense um, so that's number one so does god have the power to create a free creature like that does God have the power to create a being who he does not always causally determine? If he does, then even if God creates a world in which he knows how you would and will freely choose, you're still freely doing it. You're doing it being uncaused by anyone or anything else. So you've still got libertarian freedom in that sense. But I do argue for more than that, typically. I do believe that you've got the ability to choose between a range of options, each of which is compatible with your nature. I think that entails the path, the principle of alternative possibilities. So if God – here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I put that word freely in there to show that it does not magically disappear. So God knows how you would freely choose if – he creates, and God, he know, now God knows how you will freely choose. But you could, I, I still believe that you, even though he knows what you will do with certainty, you could actually do otherwise, I believe. Some Molinists might disagree with me there. But I still believe that you have the ability to do otherwise. You could do differently. But if you were to do differently, then God would have middle-known that instead. Or, or foreknown that instead. Dr. Craig shows that oftentimes we, uh, we make a mistake in our thinking here, and he offers a, a syllogism um, to show our uh, mistake here. Let's see if I, hopefully I can remember it. He'll say premise one, necessarily, if God knows I will do X, then I will do X. Premise two, God knows I will do X or God foreknows. Let me say it again. Premise one. If God foreknows I will do X, then I will do X. Two. God foreknows that I will do X. Three. Therefore, necessarily, I will do X. I hope I got that right. That's just off the top of my head. But what he shows then is that we've made a modal mistake. Because the word necessarily, right? Premise one says necessarily, if God foreknows, I will do X, then I will do X. Okay? But then we take that word necessarily and we put it into the wrong spot in the conclusion. In fact, the word, if we're going to follow the rules of modal logic, right? We're going to think, that is to say, if we're going to think logically, then the word necessarily does not belong in the conclusion. The conclusion should just read, therefore I will do X. 
but not necessarily. That means that it could follow. Therefore, I will freely do X. And if I would freely do X, well, then I, it seems to me I could do freely do differently. But then God would have foreknown that instead. So we kind of have it's it's similar, but not exactly with backwards causation. Right? Backwards causation is seems to be impossible. But Molinism, given God's middle knowledge and what he foreknows, gives us a, something similar to backwards causation without all of the metaphysical problems that come along with backwards causation. Um, all right. That might okay, blow well, people's minds. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think we just blew their minds and yeah. now we're out of time oh, and no. we can't continue on that. So <laughs> we might have just poked a bear. A lot of hopefully some questions arise. They can check out your website, freethinkingministries.com. Uh, maybe even send in more questions and maybe we'll do a follow up interview on more specific issues. Well, we probably should and, eventually with that, with yeah. that last statement. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But we have to cut it off here. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, it was my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, we ended up continuing that conversation, and it will be posted shortly. Also, on August 26th, I will be interviewing Dr. Fazal Rana from Reasons to Believe on his new book, Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. So if you have any questions or comments on this show that we just did, or on the interview that is coming up, you can send those in through email at contact at coffeehousequestions.com, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at RyanPauly3, or text them in at 714-989-6927. Thank you all so much for listening. Sip coffee, think deeply. This is Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauly. Guide my way.